We are in a series on the book of Acts, the early church and their response to the resurrection of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus sets up the whole book of Acts and the whole story of our lives with this verse in chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are filled with the Holy Spirit to be sent out on mission in the world. I don't know if you've ever really seen yourself like this, but for all the other amazing things that you self-identify as, the most important is you're a missionary sent by Jesus to your friends, to your community, to your work, to your school, to your city. You are a missionary. I was raised in a family where this was taken, taken really seriously, that we were missionaries. I was raised in a culture where my parents would very clearly say, you go wherever God sends you. Don't try and live next to us. Don't try and stay here because you were born to be sent by God wherever he sends you. This is rooted in my parents' DNA. My father was not a Christian growing up, but had a radical conversion when he was 16 years old. In a mining town in the middle of Wales, he came to know Jesus in such a passionate way, he quickly went off to Bible college. And at Bible college, they would send people around the world as missionaries. He didn't know where he was to go. By the time they graduated, he had met now my mother, and they were praying about where to go. And they were in a prayer meeting in this Bible college. People from all around the world had come to this Bible college, and they were, my parents were praying, God, tell us where to go. It was a charismatic Bible college, and so during the prayer meeting, my father would be singing and praying in tongues. Now, that's a different sermon, which I'd love to give sometime for those who are concerned about that. At the end of that prayer meeting, a woman came to him who was a new student, and he hadn't met her yet. And she came up to him and said, can I just ask a question? And he said, of course. He said, when have you visited my village? And he went, what do you mean? She said, well, I have just arrived. I'm from a country called Guyana in the northern part of South America. And during the meeting, I was listening to this person speaking in perfect dialect, my language, from my village. And it was you. He said, she said, when did you visit? When did you learn my language? He went, I've never been. I was just praising God in tongues. They said, well, you were speaking perfectly my language. And he goes, like I would have said, well, what was I saying? <laughs> and she said, and I summarize, you were praising God for the, the heavens to open up and rain down the kingdom of God over my country. That it would flood, the kingdom rivers of love and mercy and grace would flood 
the streets of my country. My father said with tears in his eyes, looked at my mother then and said, well, I think we know where to go. And they quickly found how to get a passport and went down to the harbor not so long and got on a boat to go to Guyana as missionaries. They were sent. We actually have, I asked my mother, who's very elderly, to get some pictures this week of her and my father in Guyana. And so I hope they come out well. The first, there they are. So my father and my mother on the left, not knowing anyone in Guyana. They arrived at the the harbor, the dock, and they weren't allowed in because they didn't have any visas. They just got on a boat. And so he had to be ordained on the boat to get a religious visa to get into the country. And this picture of my father baptizing. There's other pictures which didn't come out so clearly of, of hundreds of, no, go back, hundreds of people lining the river to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They're missionaries. After a few years, my mother fell pregnant uh, with my brother, and they moved back to England and prayed again, Lord, where do you want us? And through various signs, they moved to a town called Bradford in the north of England, which is, if if you know anything about England, is the most unappealing city in England to move to. Think of, I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble, whatever I say right now. (laughs) Think of Orange County. No, I'm only joking. Um, You know, it was a depressed industrial town. It's had its heyday in the Industrial Revolution, but since then it had been thoroughly depressed. But God said, go. So I was born at a time when my father was by day delivering laundry for money so he could survive to plant a church in Bradford in the north of England. We were raised not where we grew up, but where God had sent my parents as missionaries. Not now to Guyana, but to a town called Bradford. This was the DNA in which we grew up, that we self-identified as sent ones by God. By the time I graduated from high school, I was praying about God, where are you sending me? Which college are you sending me to? And I felt the Lord say, before I send you to a college, I'm going to send you somewhere else. So I joined a missionary year-long program for people in their 20s, something like YWAM, and Matt here has been on YWAM down here. And we, we were sent to equally depressed towns in Scotland and England to share the gospel. So for six months as an 18-year-old, I preached on the streets. I knocked on doors, told people about Jesus. I went to schools and said, can I take your assemblies and talk about Jesus? And then for six months, we went on mission overseas. And I had the honor and the privilege of going to a remote village in northern Namibia on the border of Angola to love and serve the people there. And this is a picture of me. Haven't changed much, I know. And this is Ita, on who I played soccer with for about six months in northern Namibia. And we were able to serve them practically. We built a community center, and we were able to tell them about Jesus. We were sent. Came back, 
to England, and I realized that now God is sending me to college. And in all of this, could go on and on and on, but whatever decision we took, it was because, God, you're sending us somewhere. Because you said very clearly, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I thank my father because his discipleship of us wasn't just missionaries to the ends of the earth. But we took seriously that it begins in Jerusalem, where we already are. And I want to talk to you this morning about being a missionary in Jerusalem, being a missionary wherever you currently are. Now, you don't need to go to Namibia or Guyana or Bradford, but you've already been sent here, whether by birth you've been sent here, or by your dreams you've been sent here to be a missionary. And so I'm going to talk this morning, and I'm going to pretend, and this is not really a pretend, but I'm, this room right now is a missionary sending base, right? This is a missionary sending base that we gather across the city for a meeting on a Sunday to get recharged and resent out as missionaries to our city. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 14 at four essential things that all missionaries need to know about how to live out your calling as sent ones in the city. So let's turn to our Bibles, Acts chapter 14, how to live as missionaries in L.A. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. That good news in the Greek there is the gospel telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he had not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And then the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Four essentials for missionary living in Los Angeles. The first is this. 
Let your life demonstrate the gospel. Let your life demonstrate the gospel. Do you see what shook up the city? Well, it didn't begin with preaching, but be- began, began with demonstration. A demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, it says, In Lystra there was sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked, and Paul said, stand up. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Whenever you're a missionary, you go in both word and deed. You go in both word and deed, preaching, but also demonstrating the gospel. Because without demonstration, the words lose their credibility. It doesn't end with demonstration. Because we need to explain what's happening. Because without the words, the demonstration was insufficient. Because the crowd thought they were Zeus and Thor and Wonder Woman or whatever they thought. But the credibility of the gospel comes through both demonstration and words. Demonstrations can be miracles. Demonstrations can be sacrifice. Demonstrations can be caring. In Acts 6, we see it's caring for widows and orphans. It's fighting for justice. It's bringing heaven on earth in practical, real ways. Let your life live out the gospel so that, as John calls it, you live out a demonstration of the gospel that is a sign and a wonder The miracles of Jesus are not just called miracles, but they're called signs and wonders. What are signs and wonders? Well, a sign points to something else, and a wonder makes you wonder. What was that? We are living in a city that sometimes, to interrupt people's lethargy in spiritual things, to interrupt their dismissiveness of Jesus, they need an interruption of something to make them wonder. When I was a lawyer, I was sharing an office with one of the partners of the law firm, and I tried to tell him about Jesus, tried to bring him to Alpha, and, which is our kind of safe space for people to investigate Jesus, and he didn't want to know anything about it. He was single, earning a lot of money, and loving life. Didn't feel the need to all this religion stuff, particularly the Jesus stuff. One day, I was just working quietly in my office, and Michael rushed through the door after lunch and said, Gare, you need to come with me now. We need to go get a coffee. I went, okay. I thought, oh no, what have I done? He took me out for coffee, and I said, what's wrong? He goes, well, you are into this Jesus stuff, right? I go, yes, you know I am. He goes, well, I was just walking back from my house, past that church. You know that church, St. James? I went, yes, I know St. James. Well, as I was passing St. James, this man came out of the church and came straight up to me. And I was a bit startled, and he came straight up to me and said, I don't know who you are, but I'm a Christian. I've been in this prayer meeting, and God told me to leave the prayer meeting and go outside, find the first man I could find, and say something. God gave me a message for this person. And here's the message. I said, Michael, what did he say? He said, well, before I say what he told me, 
you know that I lost my sister and she passed away recently and it's been hard. I absolutely, we've talked a lot about it. He said, well, this man, without me saying anything, looked at me and said, God wants you to know that though you're grieving the loss of a loved one, he's with you and he wants to know you and he wants to comfort you. That God knows what you're going through in your grief of a family member who's just died. He said, Michael, what did you do? He said, I ran away. I thought, how did he know that? I didn't say a word. I've come straight to you to ask, how on earth did he know that? I said, Michael, I think God's trying to get through to you. And then we had a beautiful coffee. And he went, you know what? This isn't the f- Something's going on because I can't also get out of my mind this man who was a lawyer in the last law firm I was in, and he was a really intelligent lawyer, one of the, like, the stars, and suddenly he just gave it all up, went to Hong Kong to care for heroin addicts, and now he's just come back to England, and I'm saying, what, why, what are you doing, and now he's going to set up this charity to help rich people give to poor people, and he goes, it's messing with me, why would anybody do that when you have everything, and now this, I went, Michael, I think God's trying to get through to you. And then for the next eight weeks, Michael, every Wednesday at 6.30, got on the tube with me from the city of London on the central line, and we went down to our church, my church, where he came on Alpha, and explored this God who was trying to get through to him. You see, God broke in to his life through a miracle, a prophetic word of a guy who still to this day probably thinks he messed up. Because he didn't get any feedback from that, prof- that kind of word of knowledge, right? He probably went back into that church thinking, that was embarrassing. And then James Hodges, who started this charity, was a lawyer, just through his passionate demonstration of the gospel in following God wherever he was being sent, suddenly messed with Michael's perception of the world. These lives lived out the gospel and cracked open the culture to hear then the message of Jesus. Is your life a demonstration of the gospel to those around you? Are you loving in such a way? Are you sacrificing in such a way? Are you giving in such a way? Are you praying in such a way? Are you prioritizing in such a way that people go, what on earth are you doing? Let your life live out the gospel. Number two, preach the gospel in a way that the city understands. See, a demonstration of the gospel has to be backed up with words. We see here, they had misunderstood this demonstration of the gospel. They thought, wow, this is powerful, but they put it in their own paradigm of the Greek gods. And so Paul had to come in and tear his clothes and go, no! Look what he said in verse 15. He said, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you the gospel, telling you to turn from these worthless living things to the living God. These worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
See, Paul said, I, I, you need to know the gospel. But what, what he knew was, I need to explain it in a way that this city understands. The city of non-Jews. The, cities, the city of Greek worshippers, Greek God worshippers. Kind of this idol worshippers. See, a couple of chapters before, he had spoken to Jews in the city, and that gospel message was more familiar to all of us, talking about Jesus has come as a great sacrifice to forgive us of our sins, that the sin that separates us, separates us from God, Jesus is the bridge that gets us over. You know that message that we grew up with. But see, all those concepts to Greek God-worshipping Lyconians didn't make any sense. So Paul had to preach the same gospel, but through a different way. And he said, I need to tell you about Jesus, who is the true God, not all these worthless little gods that you worship. See, the gospel is so rich and powerful that in every city that you're in, there's a unique way to tell the gospel that fits the cultural narrative of that city. And have you noticed, someone took me out for coffee this week and said, yeah, how do I share the gospel to my friends? Because I tell them about sin, I tell them about kind of eternal life, I tell them about all these things, and they just look at me with a blank stare. I go, yeah, because that's not the cultural narrative that the gospel can land on. It's true, we need to get there, but it begins by landing like a runway of the gospel on a cultural narrative. This was brought home to me when I was living in Namibia, when I read a book about two missionaries who went to New Guinea. They were called Don, oh, what's, Don Richardson and his wife, I forgot her name. Anyway, the book's called Peace Child. And I recommend you read it this summer. But they went into this village to be missionaries. And they were telling the story of Jesus to this village. And no one understood on earth what they were talking about. And in fact, it was worse because these villages, there's about four or five villages, and they were tribal and constantly at war with one another. That was their culture. Constantly at war, where treachery was applauded. You'd befriend someone from a different tribe, pretend to be a friend, and then stab them in the back and defeat them, and then you'd come home victorious. So when Don first explained how Judas had betrayed Jesus, they literally celebrated Judas and scorned Jesus for being so silly. He thought, how on earth am I going to ever get the gospel across this culture? Eventually, he said, look, I'm going to have to leave because you guys are fighting. All this is is fighting. And they went, don't leave, because actually they brought medical supplies and they were helping them. They went, we don't want you to leave. We'll try and stop the fighting. And then they just said casually, in order to stop the fighting, we must give a peace child. They went, what's a peace child? They said, oh, well, in our tradition... Whenever you want to make peace with something, that a tribe, two tribes would exchange infants to be raised in the other tribe as a, an offering of peace that a father would sacrifice, not to death, but by giving away his child to their enemies, that peace might be restored. And Don heard this and started to realize his prayers had been answered because here was the runway 
for the gospel in this culture, that our true Father has sent His Son, Jesus, to His enemies to be the peace child for the whole world. And suddenly the light went on, and He was able to tell them about the true peace child, Jesus Christ. I wanted to show you a little film, but I won't have time. But read the book. You see, every city has a runway where we can share the gospel in a way that makes sense. Now, in LA, you know that we have a mixture of people in the city. And I want to, as missionaries, you need to get comfortable with sharing the gospel in ways that you think your friends would connect with. It could be a religious worldview. It could be the, the sin consciousness. If People have been raised in a culture, probably the South of Amer in America, or they're over 40 years old. They will have this infrastructure of sin. But if you're younger than, and you can present the gospel that way. But if you're under 40, that may not be the infrastructure you have. It could be what Paul did in Acts chapter 14, talking about, look, you all worship something. You've all got these idols in your life called money, sex, and leisure. And you think if you worship and crave these things, they'll give you everything, but You get it all and you're still empty. Jesus has come as the true fulfillment. And you talk that way. Could be Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Athens. And then he says, look, how am I going to speak to you guys? He says, he finds this altar that says to the unknown God at the bottom. So he goes, this is my way in. That you guys are spiritual, but you kind of pick and mix spirituality, but you know there's something out there. You see like to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you that actually this unknown God, you may have had really beautiful experiences of spirituality, but these are not the end game. These are signs. These are echoes. These are whispers from the true God wanting to come to you and get to know you and have a relationship with you. And he has come in Jesus. Oh, So when I go surfing and have these amazing spiritual experiences, maybe it's a, an echo of a deeper reality. That actually there is a God. But He just doesn't want you to have snippets of fuzzy feelings when you're hiking in the Santa Monica Mountains. But He's come that you can know Him. And His name is Jesus. Do you see... This is how we share the gospel in our city. We don't stop there. We take them through the full gospel because that's how someone fully is born again. But we begin with what is relevant and makes sense in our cultural narrative. I want to give you a few essential books to read. Remember, this is a missionary training center this morning, right? So I'm going to give you homework to do because you're a missionary. You've got to prepare. You've got to train. I'm going to give you three books that are essential to read for missionaries in our city, Okay. The first two are by Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods and the Prodigal God, right? That speaks to a culture that is worshiping things. Amazing. You've got you to just get used to that, those books. The third one is by N.T. Wright. It's called Simply Christian, Why God Makes Sense. And he particularly talks about The cries in our heart for spirituality, for justice, for unity, for kindness, all the things that if you're under 30, you're hashtagging. But we hashtag them because they're genuine cries. The problem is we don't know how to do it. Well, N.T. Wright talks about how these are echoes, these are whispers of a reality found in Jesus Christ. 
He says this, what if the reason we have these dreams, the reason we have a sense of a memory, of the echo of a voice, is maybe that there is someone speaking to us, whispering in our inner ear, someone who cares very much about this present world and our present selves, and who has made us and the world for a purpose which will indeed involve justice, things being put to right, ourselves being put to right, the world being rescued at last. See, these are the cries of our generation who are not in church. And we can say, yes! And that's why Jesus came. And it makes sense. Okay, number three. And be super quick. Be in a gospel community. Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Not a good day for Paul. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. What? (laughs) See, that was me. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and left the city. And what we see is the power of being surrounded by a gospel community. Because in your own strength, you might just leave the city left for dead and never go back again. Because the city will beat you up. I love L.A. I don't want to beat L.A. up, but no advance of the gospel goes unopposed. So expect opposition, but the way we prepare for opposition is having a gospel community around us that when we're tired, when we're fatigued, when we're feeling that we're going to give in to the flesh, we're going to give in to the cultural narrative, that you know, we're, going to, we're so lonely, we're going to do something that we wouldn't want to do, and we're going to give in, but then You go to your community and like Paul, they gather around you, encourage you, strengthen you, lift you up in prayer. So that at the end of that community experience, what do you do? You go back in. You go back in. Someone someone said to me a long time ago this phrase and it stuck with me forever. And I use it in a missionary context. They say, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Now put that in a Christian context. Show me your gospel friends and I will show you your gospel mission. You see, who we surround ourselves with will determine if we can get back up again and go back in. Which is why church is not a place just to come on a Sunday. Church is our missionary community to gather around us so we go back in. Therefore, folks, Vintage is to be that community. Get plugged in. Come on courses. Get into groups. I have a picture behind my desk at work. It's the only picture I have on the wall, actually. I have a map of LA so I can pray where God has sent us. And I've got this one picture behind my desk because I often come to my desk completely like Paul, feeling, oh, I'm tired. And I have this picture. Have this picture on the screen? There. It's Moses with his mates, Aaron and Hur. Moses is absolutely done. He can't raise even his hands. And the prophecy and the encouragement from God was, whenever you raise your hands in prayer and worship, the battle will be won. But he was too tired to do that. So his friends gathered round him and lifted his arms up. Who's lifting up your hands? 
Have you found people to come alongside and say, come on, let's just not talk about Netflix and surfing. I don't need those types of friends. I need a gospel friend who's going to keep me alive with the mission of Jesus. I'm going to raise my hands when I can't do it myself. Okay, and finally, the worship team come up because we're going to crack on and worship. I love this because Paul says, the last thing, the last thing you need is to be filled with the joy of the gospel. Look at his explanation of the gospel. Verse 16, in the past let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. It's the joy of the Lord's our strength. It's the joy of the Lord that bubbles over that you want to go out to the streets and tell people about Jesus and turn away from these empty idols and discover the true God. One of the most beloved missionaries I ever knew was Michael Green. People would say, Michael, why, at even 70, you travel around the world telling people about Jesus? And he just said, because I found such treasure, I can't keep it to myself. But we need to, every day and every week, be filled again with the joy of the gospel. What Jesus has done for us. What he's done for us is worthy of joy. They, they kind of got it right and got it wrong. They said they thought Paul and Barnabas were gods who've come down in human form. They kind of got it wrong, didn't they? But they kind of were looking, pointing to something because there is a God who has come down in human form. And he's come by grace to rescue you and me. He's gone to the cross to die the death that we deserve, that we might have the eternal life we didn't deserve. He's with us every day to fill us with his strength and his companionship and his joy and his love. He never will leave us nor forsake us. He's a God who loves us so much. He sacrificed his peace child for you and for me that every day we wake up and we can say, I'm loved by a God who's come in human form to rescue me. Is your heart filled with the joy of the gospel? We're going to sing the gospel now that our hearts may be filled and then we go out into our mission field to be the gospel and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together.